Hello, everyone. I'm Billy. And I'm Comron. Welcome to the Horse Frog Podcast, home of your two favorite professional digressors and the creators of the Malazan Brotherhood. Today, we'll be discussing Book 1, Chapter 2 of Dead House Gates, a novel in the Malazan Books of the Fallen. This is Part 1 of our coverage of this chapter. This podcast series is intended to be a companion to reading or listening to the books set in the Malazan universe. It's not a book review, and it is most definitely not intended to be a replacement <laughs> to reading the books. Both Billy and I know yep. this to be the best fantasy story ever written and want to share our love of the series with you. We will be covering the events of this book in a linear fashion. There will be spoilers for those that have not read the books. We'll try not to spoil anything prior to us covering that portion of the respective book, but knowing me and my big mouth, I'm sure to spoil something for someone. So in advance, I'm sorry. Just sorry. We are still just getting started at Deadhouse Gates after all, so I have nothing to be sorry about yet but give it time folks it'll take about 10 episodes for i really really go to put my foot in my mouth so i'm sure there'll be something to be sorry about eventually do you think that i would allow it to go through the editing floor <laughs> or would you be censored as i mean i have been no, known to have a heavy hand no, billy no no no, no. I, I have i have repented of my ways uh, <laughs> I, I i i have no problem with the censor, sir. <laughs> you, you, you are the safety net for me, sir, so I have no problem. <laughs> A quick warning. Today's episode contains descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Our show is listener supported, and if you'd like to support us, we would really appreciate that. You can do... Uh, you can gravy. Our show is listener supported. If you'd like to support... <laughs> Okay, one more time. Our our show is listener supported, folks. If you'd like to support us and hear me go on ad infinitum, we'd really appreciate that. But you can do so by visiting our Patreon link at the website, horsefrogproductions.com. Currently, we are posting ad-free episodes on Patreon. Also, we would really like to hear from you. Send any feedback or comments to contact at horsefrogproductions.com. And on that note, I thought of this as I was editing the episode where we talked about the divers or soul taken, what we'd want to be. Yeah. I'm kind of curious what the audience would like to be. Ooh. If anybody's interested in sharing that, yeah. I'd be curious if you wanted to be a soul taken or divers, what would you be and maybe why? Little little brief thing. I'd be curious to see yeah. what the consensus is out there, if there is any. I bet there's a lot. Quick reminder, Billy, you said you would be a big cat of some type, a tiger, right? Yes. Soul yes. taken, yeah. I would go for some like crazy prehistoric saber tooth beast, but yeah, giant like you know you know what i'm talking about <laughs> oh so you do a saber tooth tiger not just a regular tiger i think the saber tooth they're so uh it's like a dire wolf meets a giant cat it's kind of it's kind of like mm -hmm. my combination it's it's kind of my imagination of that in a way because yeah. the saber tooth is a large fella so mm -hmm. and then i said i would be a divers of hippos <laughs> yeah that's that's really horrifying <laughs> it doesn't have to be horrifying no, no, no. I mean, no, no. I, they're, I mean, they're perfectly they are... fine as long as you don't mess with sure. them, you know? Well, everyone seems like they, you don't ever see a horror. I've not seen the horror movie. It's like, oh, no, it's hippos. And it's like they're running, you know? <laughs> but we know them to be some of the most aggressive killers. They're some of the most aggressive killers out there. And you're like, have you seen the huh, videos of people in boats on a river in Africa? The boat is going full tilt trying to get away from this hippo that's yeah. running on the bottom <laughs> and it's catching up to the boat and the people. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Mr. Mack. I just love hippos. That's bad, All right. okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh. Let's get into chapter two here. Okay. The chapter begins with a passage. Quote, to this day, it remains easy to ignore the fact that the Aaron High Command was rife with treachery, dissension, rivalry, and malice. 
the assertion that the Aaron High Command was ignorant of the undercurrents in the countryside is, at best, naive, at worst, cynical in the extreme, end quote. This is an excerpt from a text named The Shaikh Rebellion by Coloran. Yeah, is that a historical text, I guess? Yeah, I would say so. It's not poetry, so yeah. It does a good job of setting the tone for a couple of the things that we're going to go through later in this chapter, later in this episode, I should say. Yes. Diker sat in the rain and watched as a red ochre handprint on the wall was dissolving in the rain. He watched as the print disappeared, wishing that he could have come upon the sign before the rain obscured it and could then have gained a sense of the hand that had made its mark there on the outer wall of the old Falad Palace in the heart of Hisar. From a geographical perspective, Hisar lies on the east coast of the Seven Cities subcontinent, and it's about as close as you can get to Odotaral Island. Across the water from Hisar lies the city of Dosin Pali, which will be mentioned later in the chapter. The many cultures of seven cities seethed with symbols, a secret pictographic language of oblique references that carried portentous weight among the natives. Such symbols formed a complex dialogue that no Malazan could understand. Diker had come to realize the danger behind their ignorance during his residence there. As the year of Drizna approached, such symbols blossomed in chaotic profusion, every wall in every city a scroll of secret code. Wind, sun, and rain assured impermanence, wiping the slate clean to prepare for the next exchange. Diker thought, and it seems they have a lot to say these days. He shook himself, attempting to loosen the tension in his neck and shoulders. His warnings to the high command seemed to be falling on deaf ears. He recognized patterns in these symbols, and it seemed that he alone among all the Malazans had any interest in breaking the code, or even in recognizing the risks of maintaining an outsider's indifference. The last of the handprint had washed away. Diker pushed himself into motion, resuming his journey. Sorry, I got distracted there for a second because something okay. dripped on my leg, and then I was like, what is dripping on my leg? I realized it's sweat. <laughs> <laughs> I freaked out for a second. I'm like, what is... What is happening here? It's just, it's just is it, I don't know. That's the TMI. Season of rot. Yeah, season, <laughs> season of rot is in full swing. <laughs> oh. Opposite the immense palace wall, awnings sagged precariously above closet-sized shops. In the shadows of the holes that passed for storefronts, dour-faced merchants watched Diker as he passed by. The streets were mostly empty of pedestrian traffic. Even with the rare wayward current from the Sahul Sea, Hisar was a city born of inland drylands and deserts. Though a port and now a central landing for the empire, the city and its people lived with a spiritual back to the sea. What do you think would cause that? A lack of trees to build ships? I guess so. I think that a lot. I, I, for some reason, correct me if I'm wrong, do you get this impression from here that this is kind of like do you, are, do you know Lawrence of Arabia? It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. At least thirty years. Right, but you understand the 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 Battle of Aqaba or Aqaba. It's a Jordanian city. It's on a river there, but it's a, it's a seafront kind of port or anything. But it's it's like in the movie, it's desert. It's like desert mm -hmm. all around this city that's up on this up on this water, and and there's nothing around. And for some reason, I kind of get this same vibe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, good. So then, the, I then yes, I would think so. It's like if you have nothing going on here, it's just it, you're just here. 
you have water. It's not good drinking water. Everybody that lives on a coast is going to rely on the sea for food to some degree, right? Yes, absolutely. Unless you don't have a way of getting boats created. Right. So that's the only thing I can think of why someone that is on a coastal city would have no interest in having any relationship with the ocean. Is There's just no way to have that relationship. Yeah, that's probably it. Diker left behind the close ring of ancient buildings and narrow alleys surrounding the palace wall and arrived at the Drijna Colonnade, which ran straight as a spear through Hisar's heart. Diker ducked as a gusting wind pressed his Talaba cloak tight against his right side. Where the street named after the storm of the apocalypse narrowed suddenly, the carriage path became a muddy track of broken cobbles and shattered pottery, the tall, once royal nut trees giving way to desert scrub. The change was so abrupt that Diker found himself up to his shins in dung-stained water before he realized <laughs> he'd come to the city's edge. Squinting against the rain, he looked up. Off to his left ran the stone wall of the Imperial Compound. On his right and much closer was a chaotic knot of hide tents, horses, camels, and carts, a trader camp, newly arrived from the Sialk Odon. The Sialk Odon lies immediately to the west of the city of Hisar. Okay. Diker swung to the right and made for the encampment. The rain was heavy enough to mask the sound of his approach from the tribe's dogs as he entered the narrow pathway between the sprawling tents. He paused at an intersection. Opposite was a large copper-stained tent, its walls cluttered with painted symbols. Smoke drifted from the entrance flap. He crossed the intersection and hesitated a moment before he drew the flap to one side and entered. A roar of sound carried on waves of hot, steam-laden air buffeted Diker as he paused to shake the water from his cloak. Voices shouted, cursed, and laughed on all sides. The air filled with durhang smoke and incense, roasting meats, sour wine, and sweet ale closed in around Diker as he took in the scene. A score of gamblers had gathered off to his left. In front of him, a tapu weaved swiftly through the crowd, a four-foot-long iron skewer of roasted meats and fruit in each hand. Diker shouted the tapu over, raising a hand to catch the man's eye. The hawker quickly approached. The tapu exclaimed, Goat, I swear, in the coastal Debrawl language. <laughs> Goat, not dog, Dosi. Smell for yourself and only a clipping to pay for such delicious fare. Would you pay so little in Dosin Polly? That's the city on Odatarl Island that lies closest to Hisar across the water. Okay. Born on the plains of Dalhan, Diker's dark skin matched that of the local Debrawl. He was wearing the Talaba sea cloak of a merchant trader from the island of Dosin Polly and spoke the language without a hint of an accent. And, you know, I forgot that Diker was Dalhanese. Yeah. The Dalhan Plains lie on Quantali to the west of Itkokan, which is where Absalar came from. Itkokan? Yeah. And we know another prominent character that is Dalhanese, Shadow Throne, mm. or Kelonved. Yes. And if you pay attention in Gardens of the Moon, when Perrin lay dying in the street after Sari shanked him, <laughs> Shadow Throne appeared and was speaking with Sari with a Dalhanese accent. We've also hinted at a couple of other colorful characters that come from Dalhan yes. that will be showing up later on. But it's like, I forget Diker is that way because he's like sane. <laughs> all the other ones appear, all the other ones appear kind of out of their minds. The ones that come to my mind are... Yeah, let's meet a couple more and we'll have to come back to that. The consensus yeah, on the yeah. Dalhanese. But you're right. 
I do get that feel as well. For some reason, I always pictured him as just your typical, almost like Perrin, your typical Malazan or maybe Whiskey Jack or not Fiddler because he's very clearly Falari. But, you know, the people that are just your generic Malazans from the mainland of Quantali, not one of the notable tribes. (laughs) Because, yeah, they are a contentious lot. It's like every single one of them are pretty contentious that we meet. So it's like, hmm. To the Tapu's claim, Diker grinned and said, for dog, I would, Tapu Haral. He fished out two local crescents, the equivalent of a base clipping of the Imperial Silver Jakarta. He continued, and if you imagine the Mezla are freer with their silver on the island, you are a fool and worse. Looking nervous, the Tapu slid a chunk of dripping meat and two soft amber globes of fruit from one of the skewers and wrapped them in leaves. He muttered, Beware Mesla spies, Dosi. Words can be twisted. With contempt, Diker said, words are their only language. Is it true then that a scarred barbarian now commands the Mesla army? The Tapu said, a man with a demon's face, Dosi. Even the Mesla fear him. Pocketing the crescents, he moved off, raising the skewers once more over his head and yelled, goat, not dog. (laughs) I love how the distinguishing factor of this guy's wares is the fact that it's goat meat and not dog. Yes. Yes. I, it's, it's, uh, I've great. had goat. Goat's pretty good. You know, it's what's if it's like, I, I'm hoping it wasn't dog substituted. To your knowledge, you have not had know, dog. I'm not a big dog guy. So I, 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 to, to my knowledge, I have not had dog and or rat. So I could say the same. <laughs> though, but I have had goat. Diker found a tent wall to put his back against and watched the crowd as he ate his meal in local fashion, swiftly, messily. Every meal is your last, encompassed an entire seven cities philosophy. Now that's a nice philosophy. I live my life one meal at a time. <laughs> well, it is kind of true. It's kind of close to the Epicureans, the, the Greek me Mary style, but not, uh, not quite that dark, though. It's like... Mm-hmm. And this is a, as we will be aware, this is a pretty, is pretty rough culture. Yes. So uh, you could get your throat cut between lunch and dinner. Mm-hmm. Just look at somebody wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now this scene with the tapu and Diker eating the kebab and fruit is something that has stuck with me from these books ever since I read it the first time. I love that. Yeah, I agree. I love it too. I always love this guy. Like I say, for some reason, I get a Lawrence of Arabia slash Dune vibe and I love desert vibes. For some, I, this, I love this book because of it. Mm-hmm. Diker had grease smeared on his face and it dripped from his fingers. He dropped the leaves on the muddy floor at his feet, then ritually touched his forehead in a now outlawed gesture of gratitude to a Falad whose bones were rotting in the silty mud of Hisar Bay. Diker's eyes focused on a circle of old men beyond the gamblers, and he walked over to it. He wiped his hands on his thighs. The gathering marked a circle of seasons, wherein two seers faced one another and spoke a symbolic language of divination in a complicated dance of gestures. As Diker pushed into a place among the ring of onlookers, Diker saw the seers within the circle an ancient shaman whose silver-barbed, skin-threaded face marked him as from the Sempk tribe far inland, and opposite him a boy of about 15. I couldn't find the specific locality that the Sempk tribe came from on the map, so all we know is it's farther inland on the Seven Cities subcontinent right now. The boy had two gouged pits of badly healed scar tissue instead of eyes. 
His thin limbs and bloated belly revealed an advanced stage of malnutrition. Diker realized that the boy had lost his family during the Malazan conquest and now lived in the alleys and streets of Hisar. He had been found by the circle's organizers, for it was well known that the gods spoke through such suffering souls. The tense silence among the onlookers told Diker that there was power in this divination. Though blind, the boy moved to keep himself face to face with the Semk seer, who himself slowly danced across the floor of white sand in absolute silence. They held out their hands toward each other, inscribing patterns in the air between them. Diker nudged the man beside him and whispered, What has been foreseen? The man, a squat local with the scars of an old Hissar regiment poorly obscured by mutilating burns on his cheeks, hissed warningly through his stained teeth. Nothing less than the spirit of Drijna, whose outline was mapped by their hands. A spirit seen by all here. A ghostly promise of fire. Diker sighed. Would that I had witnessed that. The man said, you shall see, it comes again. Diker watched as the weaving hand seemed to contact an invisible figure, leaving a smear of reddish light that flickered in their wake. The glow suggested a human shape, a woman whose flesh was fire. She raised her arms and something like iron flashed at her wrists and the dancers became three as she spun and writhed between the seers. The boy threw back his head and words came from his throat like the grinding of stones. Two fountains of raging blood, face to face. The blood is the same. The two are the same, and salty waves shall wash the shores of Raraku. The holy desert remembers its past. The apparition vanished. The boy toppled forward, thumping stiff as a board onto the sand. The Semk seer crouched down, resting a hand on the boy's head. The old shaman said, He has returned to his family. The mercy of Drijna, the rarest of gifts, granted to this child. Hardened tribesmen began weeping, others falling to their knees. Shaken, Diker pulled back as the ring slowly contracted. He blinked sweat from his eyes, sensing that someone was watching him. He looked around. Across from him stood a figure shrouded in black hides, a goat's head hood pulled up, leaving the face in shadow. A moment later, the figure looked away. Diker quickly moved from the stranger's line of sight and moved to the tent flap. This section ends with a paragraph that paints an interesting picture of the continent. Quote, Seven Cities was an ancient civilization steeped in the power of antiquity, where ascendants once walked on every trader track, every footpath, every lost road between forgotten places. It was said the sands hoarded power within their susurrating currents, that every stone had soaked up sorcery like blood, and that beneath every city lay the ruins of countless other cities, older cities, cities that went back to the first empire itself. It was said each city rose on the backs of ghosts, the substance of spirit thick like layers of crushed bone, that each city forever wept beneath the streets, forever laughed, shouted, hawked wares and bartered and prayed and drew first breaths that brought life and the last breaths that announced death. Beneath the streets were dreams, wisdom, foolishness, fears, Rage, grief, lust, and love, and bitter hatred, end quote. There's lots of old history here, built layer on top of layer, all the way back to the first empire, possibly even beyond that. Yeah. You know, this is where you really see Stephen Erickson's um, archaeological anthropology kind of background here, is because that is exactly stuff how the Middle East is stacked, and a lot of that older countries that are old, you know, you get these, the, like Jerusalem is built a layer upon layer upon layer. 
mm-hmm. of the multiple times it's been destroyed and rebuilt. And same thing for a lot of these cities. And you know, some of these cities are, it impresses me. This book is so much different already than in Guards of the Moon. It has such a different vibe already. I love how it's so distinctly different. Mm-hmm. The whole continent has its own vibe to it, right? It's its own thing. Yes. That's one thing that's so striking about this book. In I think it's this book in particular. They all have a lot of strikingness to it. There's a very, because you really hit the, this is where you really, book one is an intro. It was an intro to the really craziness. Now here's the craziness. <laughs> yeah. When I think back to Gardens of the Moon, from a cultural perspective, Darujistan did not feel like it had a crazy amount of culture to me not like what we're getting here you know it did yes. have its own history where it was born on a rumor and settlers came mm-hmm. and then it's just kind of built up from there it's special in that you know it's the city of the blue lights and all that kind of stuff but yes. it didn't feel that dissimilar from any other malazan city outside of that to me and that's yeah and i think you're and you're right about that because so much of what gardens of the moon does is set up the whole world and it has to go through all that so it serves as like i said it serves as your intro and now here we really kind of got our foot in the door already. Mm-hmm. And there's something else that happens later on that you mentioned that's very intriguing, how you see things from somebody else's point of view and how this implies we already know how awesome these people are because of people they face. So we'll talk about that. Okay. Diker stepped outside into the rain, drawing in lungfuls of clean, cool air as he once more wrapped his cloak about him. Diker thought conquerors could overrun a city's walls, could kill every living soul within it, fill every estate and every house and every store with its own people, yet rule nothing but the city's thin surface, the skin of the present, and would one day be brought down by the spirits below, until they themselves were but one momentary layer among many. This is an enemy we can never defeat, Diker believed. Yet history tells the stories of those who would challenge that enemy again and again. Perhaps victory is not achieved by overcoming that enemy, but by joining it, becoming one with it. The Empress had sent a fist to batter down the restless centuries of this land. Had she abandoned Coltane as I'd suggested to Malik Rel, or had she just held him back in readiness like a weapon forged and honed for one specific task? Diker left the traitor encampment and began the walk to the Imperial compound. He might well find some answers to his questions within the next hour, as he came face to face with Coltane of the Crow Clan. He ascended the muddy slope toward the gatehouse. Two cowled guards stepped into view as he reached the gate's narrow side passage. One of the Malazan soldiers said, No petitions today, Dosi. Try tomorrow. Diker unclasped the cloak, opened it to reveal the imperial diadem pinned to his tunic. He said, The fist has called a council, has he not? Both soldiers saluted and stepped back. The one who'd spoken earlier smiled apologetically and said, Didn't know you were with the other one. Diker asked, What other one? The soldier said, He came in just a few minutes ago, historian. Diker said, Yes, of course, then nodded to the two men and passed within. The stone floor of the passage bore the muddy tracks of a pair of moccasins. Diker walked across the compound directly toward the building's main entrance. In passing, he noticed that the man who had preceded him had done the same. The pooled prints of his steps betrayed a bow-legged gait. Diker's frown deepened. He came to the entrance where another guard appeared, who directed Diker to the council room. As he approached the room's double doors, he checked for his predecessor's footprints, but there were none. Evidently, he'd gone to some other chamber within the building. Diker shrugged, then opened the doors. The council room was low-ceilinged, its stone walls unplastered but washed in white paint. A long marble table dominated, 
looking strangely incomplete in the absence of chairs. Already present were Malik Rell, Culp, Coltane, and another Wiccan officer. They all turned at Diker's entrance, Rell's brows lifting in mild surprise. Clearly, he'd been unaware that Coltane had extended to Diker an invitation. The chairs had been specifically removed for this council, as was evident in the tracks their legs had left through the white dust on the floor. The discomfort of not knowing where to stand or how to position oneself was evident in both Malik Rell and Culp. The gistal priest of mail was shifting weight from one foot to the other, sweat on his brow reflecting the harsh glare of the lantern set on the tabletop, his hands folded into his sleeves. Culp looked in need of a wall to lean against, but was clearly uncertain how the Wiccans would view such a casual posture. And this is a nice play on the part of Coltane. I've always liked how he did this. Took the chairs out of there so nobody could sit down. Yeah, that's brilliant, dude. I'm, I love everything about Coltane. Coltane! Can, yeah. can, I, can I get a witness on that one? Witness! <laughs> witness! <laughs> I, love, I love that man. Inwardly smiling, Diker removed his dripping cloak and hung it from an old torch bracket beside the doors. He then turned about and presented himself before the new fist, who stood at the nearest end of the table, his officer on his left, a scowling veteran whose wide, flat face seemed to fold in on itself diagonally in a sear from right jawline to left brow. I am Diker, Imperial Historian of the Empire. He half bowed, then said, Welcome to Hisar, Fist. Diker could see that the war leader of the Crow Clan showed the weathering of 40 years on the North Wiccan plains of Quantali. His lean, expressionless face was lined, deep brackets around the thin, wide mouth, and squint tracks at the corners of his dark, deep-set eyes. Oiled braids hung down past his shoulders, knotted with crow feather fetishes. He was tall, wearing a battered vest of chain over a hide shirt, a crow feather cloak hanging from his broad shoulders down to the back of his knees. He wore a rider's leggings laced with gut up the outer sides to his hips. A single horn-handled long knife jutted from under his left arm. With a harsh Wiccan accent, Coltane said, When I last saw you, you lay in fever on the Emperor's own cot, about to rise and walk through the Hooded One's gates. Bolt was the young warrior whose lance ripped you open, and for his effort, a soldier named Dujek kissed Bolt's face with his sword. Coltane slowly turned to smile at the scarred Wiccan at his side. So Dujek calls that scar. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yes. That's really cool, dude. I love that. Yeah. I love that. On another point, Coltane's only 40? Yeah. Dude, I'm about to be 42. Yeah, for... <laughs> I just turned 54. <laughs> yeah. Man. I'm almost 15 years older than that guy. <laughs> the grizzled horseman's scowl remained unchanged as he glared at Diker. After a moment, he shook his head and swelled his chest. He said, I remember an unarmed man. The lack of weapons in his hands turned my lance at the last moment. I remember Dujek's sword that stole my beauty even as my horse bit his arm crushing bone. I remember that Dujek lost that arm to the surgeons, fouled as it was with my horse's breath. Between us, I lost the exchange, for the loss of an arm did nothing to damage Dujek's glorious career, while the loss of my beauty left me with but one wife that I already had. <laughs> Coltane asked, and was she not your sister, Bolt? <laughs> Bolt said, she was Coltane, and blind. Both Wiccans fell silent, the one frowning and the other scowling. Dude, just stone-faced. They it. held it together. That's I crazy, man. It's so good. 
Also, <sighs> Bolt's horse caused Dujak to lose his arm. I love to see this history revealed like this. You know, it ties oh, Diker into that pretty nicely in terms of him being a veteran and yes. him being around all these people yes. that we already know. Yes, and I and I, I agree with that because it's it, it, by showing his history like that, it, which is brilliantly done. It shows how tough they are having messed up Dujak. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's like wow, that just it's kind of whoa. These are some bad fellows. <laughs> right. But I, I just love how it just kind of it just implies the awesomeness of of the the Wiccans. Yeah, how much trouble they have caused. Off to one side, Culp voiced something like a strangled grunt. Diker slowly raised an eyebrow. He said, I am sorry, Bolt. Although I was at the battle, I never saw Coltane nor you. In any case, I had not noticed any particular loss of your beauty. <laughs> Bolt nodded and said, <laughs> one must look carefully. It's true. <laughs> I just love these guys, man. Yeah, Bolt. Oh, that's too From funny. the first time I read this. I loved him. Yes. You know, he's got this really bad scar, but he's got a great sense of humor. And what's about to transpire, I think, really cemented my love for him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Malik Rell said, perhaps time to dispense with the pleasantries, entertaining as they are, and begin this council. Coltane casually said, when I'm ready, and continues studying Diker. <laughs> Bolt grunted. Tell me, historian, what inspired you to enter the battle without weapons? Diker said, perhaps I lost them in the melee. Bolt said, but you did not. You wore no belt, no scabbard. You carried no shield. Diker shrugged. If I am to record the events of this empire, I must be in their midst, sir. Bolt asked, shall you display such reckless zeal in recording the events of Coltane's command? Diker said, zeal? Oh, yes, sir. As for reckless, alas, my courage is not as it once was. These days I wear armor when attending battle and a short sword and shield and helm surrounded by bodyguards and at least a league away from the heart of the fighting bolt said the years have brought you wisdom diker slowly said in some things i'm afraid not enough he faced coltane then said i would be bold enough to advise you fist at this council coltane's gaze slid to malik rel as he spoke and you fear the presumption for you will say things i will not appreciate Perhaps in hearing such things, I shall command Bolt to complete the task of killing you. This tells me much of the situation at Aaron. Diker said, I know little of that, and felt sweat trickle beneath his tunic. He went on, but even less of you, Fist. Coltane's expression did not change. Diker was reminded of a cobra slowly rising before him, unblinking, cold. Malik Rell said, question, has the council begun? Coltane slowly said, not yet. We await my warlock. Rel drew a sharp breath at that. Off to one side, Culp took a step forward. Diker found his throat suddenly dry. Clearing it, he said, Was it not at the command of the Empress in her first year on the throne that all Wiccan warlocks be, uh, rooted out? Was there not a subsequent mass execution? I have a memory of seeing Unta's outer walls. Bolt said, They took many days to die hung from spikes of iron until the crows came to collect their souls. We brought our children to the city walls to look upon the tribal elders whose lives were taken from us by the short-haired woman's command. We gave them memory scars to keep the truth alive. This is so interesting. Instead of telling the children about it, they seared it into their minds by taking them to experience it firsthand. In a really dark way, I kind of get it. <laughs> 
by, want, by wanting the memory to live on. It's like, man, this is what she did to us. Do not forget this. Well, if you think about it, telling someone something is one thing, right? Yes. But if you imagine the scene, imagine the anguish of the Wiccans that were older seeing yes. their elders being executed like this and hung on spikes on the walls, seeing their anguish, yeah. and then the kids seeing that reaction and then seeing mm -hmm. what the Empress did. I mean, that is one way to it. really guarantee that this is passed on to the next generation. That's right. Just telling them about it's not going to have the same effect. No, I agree. And that's kind of why that's why I get it. And, uh, and but it is hardcore. But man, the Wiccans are by definition hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> We're just now, so I'm sorry, folks, I don't mean to spell that, that, that is a spoiler kind of, if, if you haven't guessed by now, but we've already known what kind of crazy men they were at last episode. We mm -hmm. talked about that madman is Coltane. It's like, come on, these guys <laughs> are pretty hardcore. Diker said, an empress whom you now serve. He watched Coltane as he spoke. Bolt said, the short haired woman knows nothing of wicked ways. The crows that carried within them the greatest of the warlock souls returned to our people to await each new birth, and so the power of our elders returned to us. A side entrance Diker had not noticed before slid open. A tall, bow-legged figure stepped into the room, face hidden in the shadow of a goat's head cowl, which he now pulled back, revealing the smooth visage of a boy no more than ten years old. The youth's dark eyes met the historian's. Coltane said, this is Sormo Enath. Culp snapped. Sormo Enath, an old man, was executed at Unta. He was the most powerful of the warlocks. The Empress made sure of him. It said he took 11 days on the wall to die. This one is not Sormo Enath. This is a boy. Bolt grunted, 11 days. No single crow could hold all of his soul. Each day there came another until he was all gone. 11 days, 11 crows. Such was Sormo's power, his life will, and such was the honor accorded him by the black-winged spirits. Eleven came to him. Eleven. This is incredibly important. First, the concept of rebirth through the crows carrying the soul to be reborn. That's really important. Yes. Then second, see how reverently Bolt says it took eleven crows to carry his soul, as if this is something remarkable. Remember that yeah. number. Eleven is a remarkable thing. Malik Rell whispered, Elder sorcery. Most ancient scrolls hint at such things. This boy is named Sormo Enath. Truly the warlock reborn? Diker said, The Revi of Genabacus have similar beliefs. A newborn child can become the vessel of a soul that has not passed through Hood's gates. We've seen that before. Yes, we have. That would be Tattersail, reborn as Silver Fox, right? Yes. The boy spoke. I am Sormo Enath, who carries in his breastbone the memory of an iron spike. Eleven crows attended my birth. This day I came upon a ritual of divination and saw there among the crowd the historian Diker. Together we witnessed a vision sent by a spirit of great power, a spirit whose face is one among many. This spirit promised Armageddon. Diker said, I saw as he did. A trader caravan camped outside the city. Rel asked, You are not discovered as a Malazan? Sormo said, he speaks the tribal language well and makes gestures announcing his hatred of the empire, well enough of countenance and in action to deceive the natives. Tell me, historian, have you seen such divinations before? Diker said, none so obvious, but I have seen enough signs to sense the growing momentum. The new year will bring rebellion. Rel said, bold assertion. 
the new fist would do well to regard with caution such claims. Many are the prophecies of this land, as many as there are people, it seems. Such multitudes diminish the veracity of each. Rebellion has been promised in seven cities each year since the Malazan conquest. What has come of them? Not. Sormo said, the priest has hidden motives. Diker found himself holding his breath, and Malik Rell's round, sweat-sheened face went white. Coltane said, All men have hidden motives. I hear counsel of warning and counsel of caution, a good balance. These are my words. The mage who yearns to lean against the walls of stone views me as an adder in his bedroll. His fear of me speaks for every soldier in the Seventh Army. Coltane spat on the floor, his face twisting. <laughs> I care nothing for their sentiments. If they obey my commands, I in turn will serve them. If they do not, I will tear their hearts from their chests. Do you hear my words, Cadre Mage? Culp was scowling. He said, I hear them. Rel said, I'm here to convey the commands of High Fist Pormqual. Diker asked, before or after the High Fist's official welcome? Even as he spoke, Diker regretted his words, despite Bolt's bark of laughter. <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. I, I really do like Diker. Yeah. He's really cool. Yeah, him and Bolt together. That's quite the combo. Yes. They are they are hilarious together. In response, Malik Rell straightened and said, High Fist Pormqual welcomes Fist Coltane to seven cities and wishes him well in his new command. The Seventh Army remains as one of the three original armies of the Malazan Empire, and the High Fist is confident that Fist Coltane will honor their commendable history. Coltane said, I care nothing for reputations. They shall be judged by their actions. Go on. Man, I love Coltane. <laughs> they yes. shall be judged by Absolutely. their actions. This is the way. Yes. This is the way. Sorry, that's my Mandalorian kicking in. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Trembling, Rel continued. The High Fist Pormqual has asked me to convey his orders to High Fist Coltane. Admiral Nock is to leave Hisar Harbor and proceed to Aaron as soon as his ships are resupplied. Hyphus Coltane is to begin preparations for marching the seventh overland to Aaron. It is the Hyphus's desire to review the seventh prior to its final stationing. The priest produced a sealed scroll from his robes and set it on the tabletop. He said, Such are the Hyphus's commands. A look of disgust darkened Coltane's features. He crossed his arms and deliberately turned his back on Malik Rell. <laughs> nice. That is super nice. Now, a quick question here. I don't know if we covered it since we've started Dead House Gates. Refresh my memory if we have. That the Wiccans are not seven cities. No. We said they were from the plains they, on the northeast of Quantali. Okay. So the spitting on the floor. That's a, I love that. Has that just crept through everyone? The, the seven cities spitting? Well, they are in seven cities, but. I think he brought that with him. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, the more spitting, the better. What can I say? <laughs> Right. What can I say? I agree. I love this. I don't know why I always get a kick out of that when everyone yeah. spits on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Bolt laughed with that humor and said, the high fist wishes to review the army. Presumably the high fist has an attendant high mage, perhaps a hand of the claw as well. If he wishes to review Coltane's troops, he can come here by Warren. The Fist has no intention of outfitting this army to march 400 leagues so that Pormqual can frown at the dust on their boots. Such a move will leave the eastern provinces of seven cities without an occupying army. At this time of unrest, it would be viewed as a retreat, especially when accompanied by the withdrawal of the Sahul fleet. This land cannot be governed from behind the walls of Aaron. 
Rel asked in a whisper, defying the high fist's command. His eyes glittered like blooded diamonds on Coltane's broad back. Coltane whirled and said, I'm counseling a change of those commands and now await a reply. Rel rasped, reply I shall give you. Coltane sneered. Bolt said, you? You are a priest, not a soldier, not a governor. You're not even recognized as a member of the high command. Rel's glare flicked from Coltane to Bolt. He said, I am not indeed. Bolt cut him off, not by Empress Lacine. She knows nothing of you, priest, apart from the high fist reports. Understand that the Empress does not convey power upon people whom she does not know. High fist Pormqual employed you as his messenger boy, and that is how the fist shall treat you. You command nothing, not Coltane, not me, not even a lowly mess cook of the seventh. Sick burn. <laughs> wow. That was great. Ouch. Tell us how you really feel, Bolt. <laughs> Rel said, I shall convey these words and sentiments to the high fist. Bolt said, no doubt. You may go now. Rel's jaw dropped. He asked, go? Bolt said, we're done with you. Leave. <laughs> In silence, they watched the priest depart. As soon as the doors closed, Diker turned to Coltane and said, that may not have been wise, fist. Coltane's eyes looked sleepy. He said, Bolt spoke, not I. <laughs> As if the distinction would even matter. <laughs> oh, man, I love our rat. Is that what you call a difference without a distinction? It's like, <laughs> no, but it's, I love how rascally and squirrely the Wiccans are. Diker glanced at Bolt, who was grinning. Coltane said, tell me of Pormqual. You have met him? Diker swung back to Coltane and said, I have. Coltane asked, does he govern well? Diker said, as far as I have been able to determine, he does not govern at all. Most edicts are issued by the man you, Bolt, just expelled from this council. There are a host of others behind the curtain, mostly noble-born wealthy merchants. They are the ones primarily responsible for the cuts in duty taxation on imported goods and the corresponding increases in local taxes on production and exports, with exemptions, of course, in whatever export they themselves are engaged in. The imperial occupation is managed by Malazan merchants, a situation unchanged since Pormqual assumed the title of High Fist four years ago. Bolt asked, who was the high fist before him? Diker said, Cartheron Crust, who drowned one night in Aaron Harbor. Culp snorted. He said, Crust could swim drunk through a hurricane, but then he went and drowned just like his brother Urko. Neither body was ever found, of course. Bulk asked, meaning? Culp grinned at Bolt, but said nothing. Diker explained, both Crust and Urko were the emperor's men. It seems they shared the same fate as most of Kelonved's companions, including Tok the Elder and Amaron. None of their bodies were ever found either. He shrugged and said, old history now, forbidden history, in fact. Bolt said, you assume they were murdered at Lacine's command, but imagine a circumstance where the Empress's most able commanders simply disappeared, leaving her isolated, desperate for able people. You forget, historian, that before Lacine became empress, she was close companions with Crust, Urko, Amaron, Dasim, and the others. Imagine her now alone, still feeling the wounds of abandonment. Diker said, and her murder of the other close companions, Kilonved and Dancer, was not something she imagined would affect her friendship with those commanders? He shook his head, aware of the bitterness in his voice. He thought, 
they were my companions too. That says a lot about where Diker was in the hierarchy. If these were his close yes. friends, he was like really high up there. Yes. Yes. And I don't think, I don't know if it's ever divulged just how high up he really, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, that's our only, yeah, I mean, hint. he's not really ranking in terms of any authority, but he has no friends in high places. Yes, he does. In the highest of places, apparently. Yes. Bolt said, some errors in judgment can never be undone. The Emperor and Dancer were able conquerors, but were they able rulers? Diker snapped, we'll never know. Bolt's sigh was almost a snort. He said, no, but if there was one person close to the throne capable of seeing what was to come, it was Lacine. What a wealth of information just came out there. All of those legendary names, they all just <laughs> disappeared. And those are names that will yeah. come up here and there, and it's helpful to commit them to memory. Cartheron and Urko Crust, Dasim Ultor, Kelonved Dancer, Talk the Elder, Amaron. Try to remember those. Yes. Move along, sir. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> now, Bolt presenting the alternative viewpoint from Lacine's perspective is really interesting. Most people tend to villainize her. I know that, and that's very interesting. I think this is one of the first first things said to shine a light on the Empress's humanity in the series, as far as I remember. Now, her intro to Perrin in the throne room in Gardens of the Moon shows he has a sense of humor, but nothing else is shown, and we never thought of her as being isolated herself. Yeah, we never knew that she had friends prior to taking the throne. Yeah, it's not thought about. Coltane spat on the floor once again. That's the third time now. <laughs> Second, third time, I can't remember. <laughs> and said, that is all to say on the matter, historian. Record the words that have been uttered here, if you do not find them too sour a taste. He glanced over at a silent Sormo Enath and frowned as he studied his warlock. Diker replied, even if I choked on them, I would recount them nonetheless. I could not call myself a historian if it were otherwise. Coltane said, very well then. His gaze remained on Sormo Enath, and he said, Tell me, historian, what hold does Malik Rel have over Pormqual? Diker said, I wish I knew, Fist. Coltane ordered, Find out. Diker said, You are asking me to become a spy? Coltane turned to him with a faint smile. He asked, And what were you in the traitor's tent, Diker? Diker grimaced and said, I would have to go to Aaron. I do not think Malik Rel would welcome me to inner councils anymore not after witnessing his humiliation here. In fact, I warrant he has marked me as an enemy now, and his enemies have a habit of disappearing. Coltane said, I shall not disappear. He stepped closer, reached out, and gripped Diker's shoulder. He said, we shall disregard Malik Rel then. You will be attached to my staff. Diker said, as you command, Fist. Coltane said, this council is ended. He then spun to his warlock and said, Sormo, you shall recount for me this morning's adventure later. Sormo bowed. Diker retrieved his cloak and, followed by Culp, left the chamber. As the doors closed behind them, the historian plucked at Culp's sleeve. He said, a word with you, in private. Culp said, my thoughts exactly. They found a room further down the hallway, cluttered with broken furniture, but otherwise unoccupied. Culp shut and locked the door, then faced Diker, his eyes savage. He said, he's not a man at all. He's an animal, and he sees things like an animal. And Bolt. Bolt reads his master's snarling and raised hackles and puts it all into words. I've never heard such a talkative Wiccan as that mangled old man. <laughs> Diker dryly said, evidently, Coltane had a lot to say. Culp said, I suspect even now the priest of male is planning his revenge. 
Diker said, I, but it was Bolt's defense of the Empress that shook me. Culp asked, do you countenance his argument? Diker sighed. That she regrets her actions and now feels in full the solitude of power? Possibly. Interesting, but its relevance is long past. Culp asked, has Lacine confided in these Wiccan savages, do you think? Diker said, Coltane was summoned to an audience with the Empress, and I'd guess that Bolt is as much as sown to his master's side, but what occurred between them and Lacine's private chambers remains unknown. Diker shrugged, then continued. They were prepared for Malik Rell, that much seems clear. And you, Culp, what of this young warlock? Culp scowled. Young? That boy has the aura of an ancient man. I could smell on him the ritual drinking of mare's blood, and that ritual marks a warlock's time of iron, his last few years of life, the greatest flowering of his power. Did you see him? He fired a dart at the priest, then stood silent, watching its effect. Diker asked, yet you claimed it was all a lie. Culp said, no need to let Sormo know how sensitive my nose is, and I'll continue treating him as if he was a boy, an imposter. If I'm lucky, he'll ignore me. Diker hesitated. He finally said, Culp. Culp said, I, historian, what do you ask of me? Diker said, it has nothing to do with Coltane or Malik Rel or Sormo Enath. I require your assistance. Culp asked, in what? Diker said, I wish to free a prisoner. Culp's brows rose. In Hissar's jail? Historian, I have no clout with the Hissar guard. Diker interrupted. No, not in the city jail. This is a prisoner of the Empire. Culp asked, where is this prisoner kept? Diker said, he was sold into slavery, Culp. He's in the Odotaral mines. Culp stared. He said, hood's breath, Diker. You're asking the help of a mage? You imagine I would willingly go anywhere near those mines? Odotaral destroys sorcery, drives mages insane. Diker said, no closer than a dory off the island's coast. I promise that, Culp. Culp said, to collect the prisoner, and then what? Rowing like a fiend with a dosy war galley in hot pursuit? Diker grinned and said, something like that. Culp glanced at the closed door, then studied the wreckage in the room as if he had not noticed it before. He asked, what chamber is this? Diker said, Fist Torlom's office, where the Drizhni assassin found her that night. You know, it's interesting. That's a female fist. That's right. Fist Torlom was a female. Yes. Culp slowly nodded. He said, and was our choosing it an accident? Diker said, I certainly hope so. Culp agreed. So do I, historian. Diker asked, will you help me? In response, Culp asked, the prisoner, who? Diker said, Heberic Light Touch. Culp slowly nodded a second time. He said, let me think on it, Diker. Diker asked, may I ask what gives you pause? Culp scowled. He said, the thought of another traitorous historian loose in the world. What else? <laughs> <laughs> And that was the traitorous historian who claimed that Lacine was a murderer and a bad one at that. Yes. Given the conversation between Diker and Bolt that we just witnessed, you begin to see where Hebert could be formulating some of his theories. Yes. Yes, you can. I kind of like this weird relationship, quote unquote, between Diker and Hebert. I'm always curious what comes of it. Well, what do you mean by that? Were they past friends? Or is it just because he's a historian and he's important because he is, he's a historian? I think they probably have to know each other. They probably met, worked together. Run in the same circles, yeah. How many historians can the Empire have? <laughs> do you know? I, wouldn't, I would think a whole lot. Hibrick's pretty well known, too. All right, we're going to stop. We'll come back next week for part two. 
For standout moments, the introduction of secret communications happening through symbols around the city and throughout all of Seven Cities is interesting. It is, and a lot, and most of this stuff sticks with me more than I realize it. And I, I and again, this makes me think of Lawrence of Arabia kind of stuff, with all the, the the brewing unease with the with the locals and all that other stuff. It's got that same vibe. And that scene in the trader tent, the way it introduces us more fully to the Seven Cities cultures really like the you know the tapu with the skewers of the meat and the fruit and then the divination the gambling the smoke and it's just the whole feel of it's like a bazaar it is it is this book already has so much going on that's different than guards of the moon i think the deep clips into his world building here that we didn't see in the first book and again we brought covered this earlier i think it's because he's setting so much up in gardens but the boy in the tent ritual has always left a deep impact on me Again, because I watch a lot of horror movies, I can just see that image real easy. This blinded child being forced, you know, some demonic kind of weird thing going on and then dying during it. So, yeah, (laughs) always stands out with me. Yeah, pretty sad. You know, this tortured soul that's suffering and I guess being used in that ritual. Yeah, it is. Yeah, this is a suffering book, isn't it, though? (laughs) Let's keep it light for now until we have to actually live it. (laughs) Right. right, Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Diker's ability to blend in with the natives, given his background as a historian, is really cool. Yes. And I, and I, I like, we've already kind of covered a little bit of this, but I, I, I love Diker very much. He's a very interesting character. And, and he's also, we'll, we'll come to that later, is responsible for one of my favorite speeches. But uh, the, Diker's and Heberick's relationship, I like this. I think part of it has to do with, I think they're trying to keep the truth alive, maybe. They want to make sure and keep the guys that know the history alive so we can report on the history, you know? Mm-hmm. But these guys are getting in trouble for actually reporting on history. Yes. It's illegal history it's now. the right I'm history, sorry. right take on history, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, that sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> <laughs> the revelation that Dujek caused Bolt's scar and Bolt's horse taking Dujek's arm, yeah. that's really cool the way that tied diker into the past history yes all of them uh, in the in the wiccans too it's also a taste a foretaste of how vicious the wiccan horses are <laughs> yeah that team up against malik rel during the council meeting i love seeing them take him down a peg or two in that meeting oh, yes. it was beautiful oh, it is really hilarious. It's so funny because they're so straight-faced about it. And you know it's not really meant for funny, but it's meant for my entertainment at least. It's dadgum funny when, they, when they're doing that to that poor boy. But even beyond that, the banter the Wiccans had, and they're not even yes. laughing. They're just stone-faced. So yes. good. She was your sister. <laughs> a blind one. And she's blind. blind too. Was, <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. It's, it, is, it takes it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like it's a bad thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Culp recognizing Stormo as an old man and one of great power. And even beyond yes. that, the revelation that the Wiccan warlocks, their souls were carried by the crows as they were executed. I really yes. like that concept. Yes. We'll get more into this later as we get to introduce to more Wiccans. Learning more about the Wiccans is really something that I enjoy throughout this book. I And I do more. I think I enjoy it more this book because of your excitement of it, too. It really rubs off on me. But uh, <laughs> okay. I, 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 part of this, uh, this is an interesting thing I thought about was the fact that this is the third soul shift we've seen in the series okay so the first one was hairlock okay hairlock then silver fox silver fox and now sormo's done this so i find that yeah it's kind of like that's a very that's a bigger concept than i realized fourth 
because what's his name? The Jag Hut. He took over oh, Mammoth. Oh, he possessed Mammoth. Yes, that's right. Does that count as a yeah. soul shift? I, it does. It's a possession. So I, in a, a way, possession. it is a soul, I don't, it, it, Technically, maybe it's not a soul shift. You're, you might be right. It, yeah. It may not he was be, temporarily possessing him. Yes. But still, it's, it's still a lot of soul shifting going on. I, I hadn't thought about that before. Mm-hmm. Then finally, Diker trying to rescue Hebrick. That's yeah. an interesting development. Yeah, it is. I like that. Don't really know why. I think it's just a solidarity among one of us, one of his last few friends, probably, or acquaintances. It's like, I got to get that fella out of there. Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't want him dying in that mine. Yeah. Spend the rest of his time there. It's a dreadful place. Cool. Great episode. Oh, man. Great episode. Great chapter. Yes. All right. You got any final thoughts? No, just a really good episode. Yeah. Great chapter. The rest of it's going to be great, too. Oh, God. I'm oh, so yes. excited to be into this book. It's so good. I know it. I know. I am, too. Well, it's like, what's so, I'm like you. It's the, each chapter gets just subsequently more. It's like, wow. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. So good. If you're <laughs> enjoying my excitement already, just wait until we get to some of the other stuff later. Oh, oh I know what. I yeah. know what. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank y'all. We thank you all for joining us today. Again, we'd really like to thank you for taking the time to be with us, and we've had a really great time talking about the topic today. If you would like to support our show, you can find us at horsefrogproductions.com, where you can find our Patreon link. Depending on the platform you're listening from, it may also be in the episode description. And if you'd like to contact us uh, through email, it's at contact at horsefrogproductions.com.